you, Devin. It seems like it's already been a full Sunday. We've heard so many great things uh, as we had opportunity to sing unto the Lord and as uh, we heard just things happening in the life of God's church and the beauty of God's music. We thank so much uh, just to be able to appreciate just uh, all that God has made and is doing. You know, as I was planning for this day in which uh, is a day in the weekend of Labor Day, which is to be a day of rest, and I was thinking, well, you know, what should I do to preach on this? And we're going through a series in the book of Galatians, and, and normally on a... Um, on a communion Sunday, I'm just praying that whatever message I have might be a short message, and I'm sure all of you pray that every single week that I come up here be a short message, but today's message is very, very long, so I don't know what to do, uh, but if you get nervous, you ever get nervous when I'm up here thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here, is that um, I will cut it uh, in various different ways, so just relax. Um, if you're thinking he's only one-third of the way there and we've uh, already ran out of time, just relax, we'll... Uh, We'll do something with it, all right? You know, and also I was thinking about when you think about uh, hearing people speak, and it can be an environment like this as we try to explain, share God's Word with you. And, and sometimes after you're, you're hearing uh, the message, you might leave the place and say, you know what, I have no idea what he was talking about. Have you ever gone through that experience? And if it's not here, so maybe some other places where you're going, I'm more confused leaving this place than I was before I came in. And sometimes that happens in all kinds of environments. Maybe, maybe you're reading a text, a book, or, or an article, and you're reading it, and you're going, I, I, I'm seeing the words, but it, they don't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was talking with one of our uh, grandparents, great-grandparents, Bill Abandon, and he was talking about uh, one of his, uh, I think it's great-grandsons that are coming out, and he works for a a particular company called ACS, Applied Materials and Interfaces. And on the brochure, it says it's all about electro-wetting behavior in digital microfluidic applications of fluorescent polymer encapsulated quantum dot nanofluids. Did you get that? Well, you know, for people... Oh, <laughs> I'm sure glad that Adam does. All right. Well... <laughs> You know, and, and, and quite frankly, if he explained to us, we wouldn't know if he's making it up or not, right? But then I was thinking about that. Well, there's got to be an explanation for it. So I went to the back of the brochure, and of course, it makes it so much more easier to understand. Uh, digital microfluidics is a liquid handling technology capable of rapidly and autonomously controlling multiple discrete droplets across an array of electrodes and has seen continual growth in the fields of chemistry, biology, and optics. A lot more, it makes a lot more sense right now. All right, this technology is enabled by rapidly switching the wettability of a surface through the application of electric, electric field, a phenomenon known as electro-wetting on dialectic. The results reported here elucidate the wetting behavior of fluorescent quantum dot nanofluids by varying the aqueous solubilizing polymers, changing the size of the nanocrystals, and the addition of surfactants. All right. <laughs> Now, when you leave this place, you can say, what did the pastor talk about? He talked about electro-wetting <laughs> behavior in digital microfluidic applications. All right. Well, you know, so there's a lot of things in this world that w for most of us, other than Adam, have no idea what someone might be talking about or teaching on. And there are all kinds of fields where you might be a particular uh, verse a uh, person well-versed in whatever it might be, and uh, you try to explain to someone, and, and they, you can tell the light is not going on. 
Well, this morning what I want to do is, is not kind of overwhelm me with things, but I, what I want to do, and this is why the, the message is a little bit longer than it really should be, I wanted to teach you the whole Bible on one Sunday. Well, that didn't seem to be really working real well. So I was, I was thinking, well, I also want to tie Galatians into this. And as you think about the, the book, and it's a pretty big book, right? Some of you have smaller print than others, and you can kind of just bring it down here, or, you, or you've got your, your, your device that you can look it up. But there's a lot of things in this book. And, and sometimes we can get caught up and we, we kind of miss it. And there are times where we look at a passage and we're saying, I need the backstory. Have you ever gone into a movie halfway through and you're going, I have no idea what, what's, what's supposed to be going on here because you didn't, you didn't understand the beginning. So you're right in the middle and you're trying to figure out what the, what the end of the story is going to be. And, and so I'm going to try to do a little of this because where we are in Galatians is a little bit where I've been trying to introduce for us today. But I want to also make it very clear what really the point, I think, or one of the major points that Paul is trying to communicate here. One is, uh, to put it very simply, and this is true about all that he does and teaches about, he wants everybody to know that this book is all about Jesus, all right? So if you miss everything else I say, I want you to understand that the message of the Bible is pretty clear. It's really all about Jesus, as we were listening to Matt, if you bring cookies, it's all about the staff because we're going to eat all the rest of the cookies. But as you think about this book, it's all about Jesus. So it's, it's really available for all of us. Now, on the other hand, as we think about God invading history, one, he started history, brought it all into existence, there, there has been a journey for us to get back to God. God began with, a, with a, the opportunity to know him forever, and we messed it up. And so as you go from Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, to Revelation, which is the unveiling of God's final plan, it's all about us understanding who God is, who we are, and how we get connected to Him. And, and as simply put, that's what it's all about. But in the meantime, as we've messed up, we've got to understand, well, how, how does God bring us back to Him? Well, He reveals Himself, and He reveals Himself and who He is and what He can do in our lives. And in many ways, you could reduce a lot of what the Bible's all about is recognizing what's our problem and are there some promises that God has made that makes our life that's wrong be made right. There are certain promises that God has made for us, and our role in this, in many ways, is pretty simple, straightforward. Our dilemma is, are we going to believe in God and His promises, or are we not going to believe in His promises? Does that make sense? So we're we still on the same page. We're not talking about electro-wedding behavior and digital microfluidic applications, right? You're with me so far? Now, as God portrays promises, sometimes he, he uses object lessons for us to, to really understand the depth of what he's doing. And we're going to participate in that object lesson today with the communion table. You know, there's nothing magical in the cup or the bread some kind of drift that way, but what it speaks to us is the most powerful message in, in all of history, that God loved us so much that he became one of us as God the Son invaded history at Christmas, and then he, he went to the cross to bring us back to himself, and the communion table is all about understanding that his body was sacrificed on the cross for us, his blood was poured out, so that we who are far away from God 
And that's the description of every one of us as we begin our life here. We're all far from him, and he brings us to him because of what he does. Not what we do, but what he does. Now, the pictures throughout the Old Testament and New Testament just just uh, give that fullness and as we understand the dilemma that we're in and how much we fight against his message. And so as we get to Galatians, and we might not get to Galatians at all today, um, that was my plan, but, but, but Galatians is really dealing with people who you would have thought, and we talked about this before, should have known better. Because they, they aren't like many of us, and maybe we didn't have a whole lot of background when we became uh, a follower of Jesus, and we, didn't, we weren't that familiar with the Old Testament, and for that matter, we weren't that familiar with the New Testament, and we're, we're trying to catch up on the run. It, it's not only getting into a movie late, but it's getting into a class late. Anybody get into a class late one time? You know, they've already gone through certain issues or certain truths you better know if you're going to get to the next math problem you've got to understand, and, you, and you're just trying to catch up. Well, he was dealing with people who didn't have to catch up, but what they had done is they had misunderstood and now we're misapplying and now not teaching people correctly what the Bible had to say. And they were spe- he was speaking in people's lives that were saying, look, if, if you're going to know God, it's, it's not so much what God has done, though that's essential, but it's really about what you're going to do. And, and are you going to measure up? Are, are you going to make yourself good enough for God to accept you? And so what they were inviting people to do is, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you better add obeying all the laws if you're really going to be a close follower of, of, of Jesus. And so they were, they were taking that which is so fundamental in the message of Christ, which is God's grace. And you all memorized that passage from last month. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? We can nullify, make that which Jesus has done to no effect for us if somehow we take what he has done and add it, add it to it. Add it, well, you know, it's, it's Jesus plus me doing X, Y, Z. And so he was wrestling with people who were, who were not only getting it wrong for themselves, but now influencing other people to say, you need Jesus plus. And part of it is they were looking at, they were saying, well, well this is how we understand the, the front part of this book, right? This book has basically two parts, right? One is called the, you know, I might not get past my introduction here. Okay, yeah, you're doing great. Old Testament, the new one's called the, the New Testament. And one is two-thirds and one is one-third, okay, in terms of length. And, and so they said, well, we got to make sure we're doing all what's in the Old Testament to make sure we're getting it right in the New Testament. And the Old Testament is God's Word, and we learn from it in great and many ways but if you don't get it right you're going to get it wrong in what God wants you to live out now and that's true in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament now one of the things here and and there are great promises in God's word and we need to hold on to them and believe them and apply into our lives but sometimes we get messed up not only at getting to first base with God but getting around the bases because we don't we don't clearly put our brains in gear when we read this book and part of what I want to do today is, is really try to answer the question, are all God's promises for me? Now, if you've ever heard someone refer to the promises in God's word, they're, they're, someone will count them up and they'll say there's over 7,000 promises in the book and they're all for me. 
Well, that sounds great, sounds devotional, sounds like God's a great God, he's given me all kinds of promises, but the reality is, what they're trying to say is, I can pick anything the Bible says and apply it to my life, and I can just name it and claim it for him. Well, that makes absolutely no sense. And that's not how we make promises to people, and that's not how God's made promises in this book. All promises are to be understood in their context. And we're going to get to this, but we're going to have to look at who, who, who said the promise, but more importantly, who was it said to? Why was it said to them? And how does it apply? And, and this was the dilemma that people in Galatia were having. They're, they're, they were taking things in the Old Testament and they were piecing them together in ways that, that brought more burden on God's people than gave them rest. And on this weekend, if we want to tie the weekend together, this, we celebrate um, Labor Day, which is a day in which we are to rest from our labors. And what they were doing, they, they were making the following of Jesus harder than, than restful in terms of what God's plan was for them. All right, so that's a long introduction to now my other introduction, right? Part of, part of what God did in the Old Testament was to make promises, but he used an object lesson, and he used a particular word that was to cement what he was doing, and that is the word covenant. God made covenants with people. The word covenant, it's the word bread in the Old Testament, really means to, to cut a treaty or a, cut an agreement. It's a, to, to, to make something sure that which is being promised to in relationship to two parties. And I want to just define it this way. It's in your outline this morning, and, and then we'll spend as much time as we have this morning to try to bring it into clarity. Uh, covenants are God's major promises made for chosen relationships. And, I, and I'm using this, and other writers do as well, or speakers, but as you think about a covenant, what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Well, a contract can be a kind of a cold agreement between maybe even strangers. But when God made a covenant, he made it in relationships with people. And, and, the, and these were people he valued and cared about. And he says, I, I, I'm cutting this agreement with you because I really care. I really know you and I want to know you more deeply. So it's a relational agreement. It's a relational promise. The covenant is a binding promise, an agreement or treaty. As in a will or trust, it expresses the desires, intent, and commitment of one party to other parties. Now, that sounds kind of legalese here, but it's simply meaning this, is that as one party, so a person, is making an agreement with another person or a group of people, he's saying, what, I'm, what I am sharing with you is really a desire of my heart. This is, this is not out of obligation. This is not out of a gun to my head. This is something I really want to do, and I am making a commitment to make this happen. Some covenants are made equally by both parties in the agreement. In other words, it's not just one party making an agreement with another, but it's two people making an agreement with each other. In many ways, that's the picture of the marriage covenant, is you have a man and a woman coming together and they're making these vows between each other saying we are both committed to this relationship but some of the covenants in the bible are 
unilaterally. It's, it's God making this agreement. It's God making this promise. And when God makes the promise or covenant, he makes it, it's made solely by God. And when he does, it's irrevocable and it's doable. Now, irrevocable is that it's, it's the, really out of the nature of God is that God says, I'm not going to make you promise and say, uh, sorry, you know, I had my fingers crossed between my back, all right? Uh, I, 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 he's not going to make a promise and say, I'm sorry, I was just joking. You didn't get the joke. You know, he, he's not going to make a promise and say, I, I've, you know, you didn't live up to your end, so I'm not doing it. If it's a promise made only by him. He's saying, I've said it, I've, I'm committed to it, it's the intent of my heart, and it, was, it will not change. The other part of it is that it, it's, it's a doable promise. Now, I was thinking about this, and I just added this, because how many of you have ever made promises you didn't keep? Some of you just lied to me, right? You didn't raise your hand, right? Okay. Now, I'm not saying, did you make a promise that you didn't intend to keep? I'm, you know, I, there's probably some promises I, I can't, I forget those. But the, there, ha, there have been some promises that I intended to keep, but I didn't. And part of that is I was incapable of keeping it. Remember some of those promises? Promises you made to your kids? Okay, I, I promise you I'm going to... Uh, my mind is just going to flow today a little bit. Okay, remember when Thrifty was the base, best place to get ice cream? Anybody remember the Thrifties? Okay, now you can, you can still get it at Rite Aid. But, you know, I, I remember saying, we're going to go tomorrow. We're going to go to Thrifties, and you can have as much ice cream as you want. You can get a triple-decker ice cream. Well, then tomorrow comes, and all of a sudden I go to thr uh, Thrifties, and the ice cream machine is broken. Or they, uh, er, the refrigeration went down, and everything's melted, and I couldn't, I couldn't get them ice cream from Thrifties. And you know what my... My kid said to me, but dad, you promised. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I meant to somehow fulfill that promise, but things beyond my, what, control happened, and I wasn't able to fulfill that promise. Now, that's going to happen to us at times, right? So be careful what you promise, all right? Because some things you'll promise, and you fully intend to keep that promise, but you can't because things happen beyond your control. Now, let me ask you, is there anything beyond God's control? No. So when God makes a promise, it's not only irrevocable, he's not going to change his mind. You know, he's not going to say, I got fingers, you know, crossed between my back. He's not going to say, I was just joking. He'd say, I meant it. But also, he's able to fulfill that promise. I, you know, I always, I, I always, do you ever get mad at watching a show, you know? You know, sometimes I'm watching a show, particularly if it's a detective or a police show, and and some horrible crime has happened, and, and they can't find out who done it, right? And, and the policeman comes and says, I promise you I will find who did it. And I'm thinking, can you really make that promise? Because there's some things beyond your control. Uh, are there any other, uh, Tara, is there any unsolved crimes out there? Yeah, there's all kinds of them. So you better not promise for sure that you're going to find the person who did it, right? Because there, there are some things out there you might not be able to control the outcome of that which you have promised. But with God, we need to understand that he is capable and able and willing to fulfill the promises that he has made. But there's another part we need to realize. There are some promises that are conditional and others that are unconditional. Some promises are made depending upon the actions of the other. And, and, and we as parents or grandparents or as 
we've heard this morning, grand friends, okay? And, and really, next Sunday is a, is a Sunday to celebrate children, and, and really, uh, our role of loving and impacting children, and, and if you're old, it, all you have to be to, to really help somebody, uh, see if you qualify as a grand person, is you've got to be older than somebody else, all right? And you can be a positive influence in their lives. And that's what we want to, we want to be. We want to be an intergenerational church that, that all the ages mix. And we're, we, just, we love on everybody. And we want to celebrate children and the role of those who are older than them in their lives. But, but as we think about it, there, there are times where we have made a condition on a promise to a child. Okay, taking the, the ice cream you know, story again. I, I promise I'll take you to thrifties if you all, what? behave okay you, all, you got that one right if you behave so it was conditional on their behavior whether they got ice cream and so some promises in the bible are conditional and some are unconditional it doesn't matter what we do god will be faithful to his promise and other things are conditional on our being obedient to him now, there are all kinds of great promises. I'll just throw out one. It's probably when I've done surveys and I've read surveys about what, what is the favorite promise, you know, this side of the cross that people have from Jesus, at least as we live out life now. And, and probably the greatest promise that most people that I've been around say, I just love that promise. God says, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. That no matter what is happening to you, no matter where you are, no, what, no matter what's going on, God is always there with you. And you know what kind of promise that is? It's an unconditional promise. It doesn't mean, well, when I'm good, God's there, and when I'm bad, what? God's not there. God is always there because he's promised that. We might for forsake him, but he doesn't forsake us. We might at times be faithless, but God is always faithful. And, and so we need to understand promises, or, or somehow we're going to go through the experience of living for God, and we're going to have these expectations that we believe that God's going to meet, and God's going to say to us when we see Him face to face, you must understood my promises. You, you didn't get it. You didn't, you didn't read it clearly. You didn't understand that some promises are conditional and some are unconditional. And, and then some promises you think I've made, I didn't really make, or those promises weren't for you, they were somebody else. And so as Paul is pleading into the, the, the church at Galatia, the churches at Galatia, he's just pleading that they understand the clear things of the Bible. There are things probably in this book that we'll never completely fully understand until we see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, but when I see him face to face, then I'll know in full. But the things that are clear, he expects us to understand it. And so uh, I, I want to do a little bit of that today, um, a very little, because I haven't even got through the first part of my introduction, all right? Is a covenant or a promise in the Bible for you or for me? And, and here's just a general thing to think through. Ask, who was it for? You know, we, we're all heard that little phrase, uh, you know, people are talking, are you talking to me? You remember that? Are you talking to me? Uh, and, and sometimes the answer is, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to somebody else. Or, or maybe he's saying, yeah, no, I'm talking to everybody. And so we need to ask that basic question. Who is he talking to? And, and is it applied just for that person or is it applied to everybody? Does that make sense? You ever promise your kids you're going to take them to Disneyland? Or some other place like that? 
Did you mean that just for your kids or for my kids too, right? Or for everybody's kids, right? You know, sometimes those promises are made to a select group. That's how we, we could not function if every time we made a promise that applied to everybody, right? Shake your head like you're still with me, all right? So who's he talking to? And, and that's important to understand. The, you know, why was it given? And that really deals with the conditional, unconditional part. What, why was that promise given? What's the context of that? And then how is it to be applied really has the practical implications of it. And so we're going to see some of that as we look at God's big promises. If we can somehow understand his big, big promises, though, you know, we can understand some of his what we would call littler promises or ones that often we claim. But, I mean, these are the ones he made that had such a um, pervasive impact on all of history. And it gives an indication of, of how he works. So we're going to look at biblical covenants. We're going to look at God cutting agreements with people and see how uh, they applied and who they were for and what does that mean to us. So it's always good to begin at the beginning. So let's look at the book of Genesis, all right? So find that first book in the Bible, Genesis, and, and um, we're going to look at the, the first two people that were left here on earth or brought here to earth, okay? Um, and it's found in uh, Genesis 1 through 3 and all these covenants, we, we could spend, you know, Sundays on each one if we really wanted to. But he begins uh, with the beginning, and it's all about the covenant he made with Adam. Uh, you could say Adam and Eve. And it's called, among those who like to write on things like this, it's called the Adamic covenant. Now, I just didn't swear up here, but the Adamic covenant, okay? It, it relates to Adam. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 uh, through 17, uh, this is what we read. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, to cultivate it and keep it. And, and that's just a statement, too, as we think about uh, this is Labor Day weekend, okay? Um, and then uh, for many of us, the, the next day is a work day. And how many letters are in the, the word work? Okay, it's a four-letter word, but it's not a four-letter word, all right? It's, it's not a curse word. And, 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 and let's be honest, now, even when you're retired, in other words, you're not getting paid for whatever you're doing, you still have what to do? Work to do. Have you, have you, you've all realized that. You get up in the morning, there's some things you want to do just to play, but there are things that need to be done, and some of those things that need to be done are not necessarily things you particularly want to do at that moment, and so it's work, all right? And, and some things you enjoy doing as you work, but some things, let's be honest, you don't enjoy everything that you do. Are we honest? In, is it all right to be honest in church? Okay, okay. But work was not a curse word. Work was, was all a part of God's plan. He, he has something for us to do. And, and that was true in, in the day of Adam. Well, I'm not going to get very far at all. Okay. Then the, the Lord God took the man and put it in the garden of Eden and cultivated it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now, the, the, we're going to look at seven major, well, we, eventually we'll look at seven major covenants, right? And I was going to go a lot faster, but I promised I, to myself that I would not speak at rapid pace, all right? So the first covenant and every major covenant or major promise, you don't have to have the word covenant right next to the, the major promise, but you have God making a promise to Adam, all right? And, and and he made this promise, uh, and you, it's the back end of it. If you obey me, you, you won't what? You're not going to die. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's a pretty good promise. And implied in that promise, not only you're not going to die, but you're going to be healthy all of your life. And, and you will flourish in what you have to do. And, 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 and look, I just want you to trust me. And I'm only giving you a very simple, you know, beta test here. Is there's just one tree I don't want you to eat the fruit of, right? Now, who did he make that promise to? He made it to Adam. Now, it was... The promise of not dying, was that conditional or unconditional? If he eats the fruit, what happens to him? Dies. The good part of the covenant, okay, the promise part is you're not going to die, okay? But the reality is he broke that part of the covenant. It was, it was a two-party commitment, all right? He as well as, well, he was held responsible, so we'll just focus on Adam, okay? It's all about Adam today. Okay, Adam broke the covenant. And when he broke the covenant, that promise you shall not die did not come to pass for him. Now, God was gracious, and he didn't physically die, but his relationship with God was damaged, and there was now, and this is what primarily the word death means in the Bible, there was a separation between the one he made in his image and the one who loved him so much, he brought him into existence. And now there was not that intimate relationship any longer. There was a separation. There was a, there was a death spiritually that there had to be something from God as we see through God's plan done so that he could come into a right relationship with God again. And so as we think about this promise, this promise was only given to Adam. And this promise was conditional. And as we think even to the stipulations here, as we think of God's plan for our life, is it as, is it as simple, all we have to do is find out which tree out there bearing fruit that we don't have to eat? Is, 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 that, the, is that the agreement he's made with us? Are there a few other things God doesn't want us to do? Yeah, right? And so as you look at all kinds of different things, look at that, that promise, well, I, I, as far as I know, I've never eaten from this forbidden fruit that Adam right? Anybody think you have eaten of the forbidden fruit? I don't think any of you have, all right? But we have sin. And so this was a covenant. This was a promise made only to Adam. This is a singular thing I don't want you to do. Just don't eat of this forbidden fruit. That was a promise made only to Adam with those stipulations. So again, as we think about relating to God, we need to understand who is he talking to does it apply just to that person to everyone? Why was that promise given? That promise was given so that Adam and Eve might realize, look, I'm not trying to make this complicated. I want to show how much I love you. I'm making this really simple. Trust me enough just to obey one commandment. And how was it was to be applied? It was to be applied faithfully in their life so down the road everyone else would be in right relationship with God, but they failed. So as we think about God's plan, and as we think about the, and we're going to be seeing that in the future, as we go through just illustrating God's promises, and in many ways we're going to see all of God's word laid out in looking at the covenants. It's to demonstrate who God is and who we are, what he's promised and who he's promised it for, how does it apply to us, and how we can see the, the, the miracle, the, the amazing event that in that happened at the cross is applied so graciously and amazingly 
into a life who put their trust and trust in him and him alone. I just want to turn one other path. That's, that's, all, that's all we're going to get. We're going to get to one covenant today. But, and, and I don't plan to do seven weeks on the covenant, so just relax. All right, so. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and we're going to see this in the future, but in the, the two, you know, I said there's seven major promises, and they're illustrated in the covenants of God. But if you were to reduce those a little bit, they're, they're really only, well, the, the, the most significant ones are, 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 you can be reduced to two. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. It's like there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And as we experience communion today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the summary passage of what they were going to experience, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, we, we read these words. For I delivered from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and so what you have here is, is Jesus with the disciples, and then this was carried on after he was crucified, buried, and risen again. He said, I, I don't want you to ever forget what has happened and, and how it is to be applied to you. The, you should never forget the cross. You should never forget the empty tomb. You should never forget this promise I have made to you, that I took on that which you so rightly deserve, death, and I died in your place. I died on your behalf. And what I want you to do is to remember. Remember, the, the, the invitation is a free invitation. It was free to you, but it cost me Everything. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this, covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Oh, the word covenant is now inserted here. We immediately go to the cup, and what is in the cup? It's the blood. It's, it's, the, it's the wine. It's the juice that represents that that Jesus poured out his blood on our behalf. And we think of all the blood sacrifices in the Old Testament that were a, a picture of what was going to happen when the, the, the Lamb of God, who would once for all be the sacrifice for our sins. And never again would there need, be, need to be another blood sacrifice that would symbolize what God had promised. But he, he couches this all in the words, this is my new covenant. And do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There has been given a, a new binding agreement. There's been given a new peace treaty. That, that we are at peace with God so that we can experience the peace of God because of what Jesus has done. And it's not based on the old covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant in which we were to, to realize our desperate need for him. And, and as you look at the old covenant, it was filled with laws. What were the laws given for? Primarily, as we'll see in the book of Galatians, they, they, they were a, a tutor to bring us to our 
our knees to realize that we fall so short of the holiness of God. How, how do you know if you break a rule? Well, usually you have to know what the rule is, right? How do you know if you break the, God's moral standard? You need to know what God's moral standard is. How, how do you know if you displease God? Because he's, he's made it clear what is displeasing of God. But I want you to understand there's a new agreement. You don't go through God trying to make it on your own efforts, which you can never reach God that way. But it's a gracious gift, fully realized in Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Him. And so this morning, when we go to the Lord's table, the communion table, it's to remind us that God has made a promise to us. The promise is you... Could, could never and can never approach me through your own efforts and through your own moral righteousness. But what happened on the cross, as Paul writes in another letter, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Not only does God settle the judgment of our sin, but he imparts to us his goodness, his righteousness, that we can be right in him because of his unconditional promise. When we trust in him, he makes us righteous before him. Let's pray together. Father, in the midst of just introducing this theme, might we just be filled with the, the reality that you have loved us so much that you've made us a promise that really is all about Jesus. And this is the promise that is available for everyone. When we put our trust in you, this is where true forgiveness comes from. This is where we become right before you, not on our performance, but on the power of God who lives within us. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they make that step of trusting you, putting their faith in Jesus. And then as we participate in the communion table, just coming to the table, taking the elements and bring it back to our seat, might we remember it was your body that was, that was hung on the cross. It was your blood that was poured out so that we could be made one of your children. Help us to experience that in a full way today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never uh, <coughs> participated in, in community.